Welcome to the Making a Runner podcast. I'm your host, Nick, a running specialist, biokineticist, and coach. And I'm your co-host, Davey, aka Davey on the Run. Through our shared knowledge and experience, we unpack the fascinating topic of running. We speak to coaches, athletes, subject matter experts, and everyday enthusiasts to help you improve your running. And ensure that you enjoy every step of the way, wherever the road or trail may take you. This is how runners are made. It's how runners are made, baby. Oh yeah. And the end result of that is you've got a much stiffer muscular tenderness unit. So the way that would look in running is if you if you if you just picture someone that's starting the journey um, on like a 5k often people are quite stumped and shuffling when they're running because they haven't built up that strength and that stiffness to run and you compare it to when you watch the guys flying past you know the top runners in a 10k they look or the, so effortless they look effortless and they're gliding across the ground and they never collapse and that's the, that's the word I like to focus on it's that collapse in running and we've all felt it when you get tired you start collapsing into the road um, what that stiffness does is it helps you know re- rebound you off the road without collapsing into the road <laughs> Um, and that's where most of that mechanical efficiency actually comes from. It's having stiffer muscular tenderness units in your body. So you get less collapse and you get more energy return from the road itself. So you get more bang for your buck with each step. Welcome guys to another episode of the deep dive. I'm very excited today to be chatting to a good old friend of mine and in the flesh, um, I've got Ant Clark in the studio with me today. Um, Ant is not uh, a newbie to the podcast. He has come on two previous times, which makes him the first person to have come on for a third time on making a runner. So we're very excited to have him here. And as you guys know, he is your Mr. Sports Science. Today is going to be telling us everything we need to know about strength training. Strength training is one of those topics that we know as runners we got to do, but we don't really know where we have to start. So it's going to be a very interesting conversation. I'm quite excited to have Anton, and I hope you guys enjoy. Ant, welcome to the podcast yet again, bro. Nick, stoked to be back, bro. It's been a long time. Yeah, no, yeah, it has. It's been a while. And um, in the flesh. In, in the, the flesh. flesh. Yeah, yeah. First time first time in the flesh in over a year, I think. Yeah, yeah. Back in um, SA back on SA soil. Yeah, feels how, good. How the study's going? You're almost done on the PhD. Yeah, getting there, getting there. I've got a I've got a six month sprint to the finish line. So <laughs> it's like an endurance sprint. All right. But next time we'll have you on the podcast, we're gonna be calling you Doctor and Clock, eh? That's I'm I'm going for that one. I'm, I'm yeah, making a claim yeah that, that, that's a good promise. Hopefully, okay. hopefully I'll finally get that doctor title. <laughs> Bro, tell me what you know about strength training. There's just, uh, there's so many things that as runners, um, we know we should be doing. We know we should be sleeping. We know our eating should be better. Uh, we know we should be following a plan. And a lot of us know we should be strength training, although not everyone wants to believe it. So let's get stuck right in. Why do we need to be strong as runners? Yeah, so I mean, this is this is a key question. Strength training is re- re- really one of those important things that can make a difference to your running. Um, I think before we we take a deep dive into it, we really got to sort of focus on the uh, why and the how behind things, um, and go even broader a little bit and just remind everyone why do we actually train in the first place and how does training actually make us better? And I'm not just talking about strength training; I'm just any kind of training. Mm with any endeavor you do um you know for runners you know why does running make you fit and better um and it's all about adaptations and so what happens when you train is you essentially are stressing out your body so if you imagine that your body's like a big building 
you're setting sort of like mini fires up all over your body. <laughs> so you're stressing it out and your body starts ringing all the alarm bells. And that's sort of like in that time when you're actually running and you're feeling a bit tired and stuff, those, those are the alarm bells starting to go with the fatigue and stuff. And afterwards, when you're a bit sore and stuff, those are the alarm bells. But then your body calls in the fire team, you know, and they come to put out those fires, um, you know, and they don't just actually put out all those fires and make sure, you know, you don't die because <laughs> that's what that's what will happen essentially when you're training. If you keep going, you don't stop, you'll die. And that's why we get tired. Um, but what they do is, is when you're recovering and they're putting out all those fires and they're helping mend all the damage from the, from the fires and stuff within your body, um, they actually add in extra stuff. So they add in, you know, fire alarms or they, they, they fireproofing. Build. Yeah, fireproofing of the walls. They build, they add to it. And that's our adaptations. And that's how we get better and how we get like fitter and faster and better runners. So that, that's essentially the I why we that. train. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun oh, little analogy. It's a um, great analogy. So yeah, that, that's, that's the whole why we train and how sort of we get better from a metaphorical point of view. Then if we go sort of to like the how, so what we wanted to do is we actually wanted to get specific adaptations from our training. And once again, we'll keep it more to sort of running. Mm. So, you know, what you do when you run is going to, you know, very specifically work on the adaptations you get. So the type of session you do is you're going to get specific gains mm. from that session, right? So say you're trying to train for a 100 meter sprint or you're trying to train for an ultra marathon automatically we all instinctively know it's going to look different and it makes sense because you know if i go out and i just do 100 meter sprints i'm not telling my body it needs to get ready to go and run 100 miles it's mm. telling me that i need to run as fast as possible um whereas when i want to go run 100 miles i know i need to go out for a long time spend a huge amount of time on the legs and my body is getting stressed with that huge amount of time on the legs and it's getting better at that specific thing mm. if we keep it really nice and simple so then that brings it around to strength training and what what do we actually get out of strength training well, as runners? Well, exactly. So maybe let's go into what physiologically happens yeah. with strength training and let's try to keep it to a conversational level. Um, I think obviously for me in my practice, I'm a big believer of educating people about the why things happen rather than just telling them what happened. Yeah. Because I feel that if they know that information, they'll be able to bet they'll be better equipped next time something yeah. like that happens. So perhaps if runners understand what is actually happening to the body when they do some strength training, maybe they can tie up the link to what improves them as runners. Hundred percent. So yeah, that, that's what we'll do. I think I think it's good to just sort of mention the the main outcomes and then how we get to those outcomes. So basically, you know, the main outcomes that you'd actually get from strength training are you're going to have two real big things happen. So you're going to improve your running economy, okay? So your running economy is basically how efficient you are at running. Uh, basically, you can think of it basically as your technique, but your mechanical ability to run, you're going to conserve more energy at the same speeds and you're going to hopefully be able to go faster because mechanically and technically you're moving better. And the other main thing it's going to do is it's really going to help with your robustness. I like to use the term robustness mm, because, like you know, injury prevention is a word that gets thrown around a lot. And, you know, they're actually still trying to figure out how much, you know, strength training actually impacts injury prevention. I'm a big believer that it does have an impact. But what I've seen, you know, in practice as a strength and conditioning coach and also just sort of from the research, you, you know, you are physically making your body stronger, becoming more robust. You're becoming harder to maim. Is that that road hardiness we can talk yeah, to? Yeah, road hardiness, uh, mountain hardiness as well. You know, like yeah. the ability to keep climbing up mountains for those trail runners, road hardiness, being able to take the pounding on the mileage on the concrete. Um, so those are the two main things. You're going you're gonna to really improve your, your running economy, which is going to make you a faster runner, more efficient runner. It's going to bring down your times. 
and then you're improving that robustness which is going to make you more durable um, it's going to help you sustain better training loads um, it's going to help you sustain faster training loads when you run faster um, and hopefully prevents injuries overall though obviously you know that's still a very tough thing to do in running yeah for sure so the way we actually get to that through strength training um, is where all the fun begins so if we if we sort of focus first on our outcome measures and they, they actually will trickle and bleed into each other so the things that help um you know the mechanical efficiency is going to help um also improve your robustness and stuff as well um so the first thing that i like to mention it's going to really help is it's going to help increase your stiffness which is a scary word <laughs> yeah, for the average cause, runner because every runner comes into the practice like oh, i'm so stiff i can't i can't touch my toes it's such a bad thing yes no exactly so um, <laughs> I'm not quite talking about that kind of stiffness when but I say stiffness. I'm talking about mechanical stiffness. Yeah, but I'm just relating to the word. Oh, stiffness. yeah, stiffness. That so, is exactly that. Yeah, but that is exactly what everyone's going to think when yeah. you hear the word stiffness. Well, yeah. I think most of the time when yeah. I hear the word stiffness. So the stiffness I'm talking about here is mechanical stiffness. So when you go and you train, so if you think about, yeah, when we're training a hundred miler, we're doing lots of distance because we're getting better at distance. Now, when you go into the gym and you lift weights, you're sending a signal to your muscles to get stronger. But it's not just your muscles you're sending a signal to. You're actually sending a signal to all the connective tissue involved with your muscles. It's called the musculoskeletal system. So you're also stressing um, your muscles. You're stressing the connective tissues attaching your muscles to your bones. So that's your tendons. You're also stressing the ligaments, which connect your bones to your bones. And you're actually stressing your bones themselves. So not just your muscles are going to get stronger, but you're also going to get stronger and thicker tendons. Mm. And you're going to get stronger and thicker ligaments. And you are also going to get stronger and denser bones um i don't know so much about thicker bones um, that, i think everyone would be walking around looking funny but your bone density will increase and that's an amazing health benefit as well on top sure, of everything else sure. and the end result of that is you've got a much stiffer muscular tenderness unit so um the way that would look in running is if you if you if you just picture someone that's starting the journey um on like a 5k um journey and you know often people are quite stumped and shuffling when they're running because they haven't built up that strength and that stiffness to run. And you compare it to when you watch the guys flying past, you know, the top runners in a 10K. They look or the, so effortless. They look effortless and they're gliding across the ground and they never collapse. And that's the, that's the word I like to focus on. It's that collapse and running. And we've all felt it. When you get tired, you start collapsing into the road. Mm. Um, what that stiffness does is it helps, you know, re rebound you off the road without collapsing into the road. <laughs> Um, and that's where most of that mechanical efficiency actually comes from. It's having stiffer muscular tenderness units in your body. So you get less collapse and you get more energy return from the road itself. So you get more bang for your buck with each step. Oh, yeah. Essentially. I mean, that makes a hell of a lot of sense. I really, I really enjoy that analogy. And I think everyone can relate to not being able to explode off of the ground or, or, or feeling themselves getting dragged closer and closer to the ground by gravity as they fatigue. And obviously it's such a nice reward to know that if you do strength training as a runner, you can look forward to having more stiffness in the way that you run, which will relate to better and improved performance and potentially less injury. Um, but I think that's also where it's important to, to maybe speak to the fascias a little bit mm. because obviously when we think stiffness, it's not necessarily a good thing, but it can also be a, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it can also be a good thing yeah. in running. Um, especially I find when certain areas of the body are working in motion yeah. to be able to move. And I think, you know, moving as a runner, it's very one-dimensional. Yes. 
So you're always moving in one direction. Yes. And it it's a it's a blessing and a curse. And I think what strength training can also do is provide a different element of stimulus. So uh, perhaps let's chat about the stimuli and yes. uh, how we can go about strength training as a runner in terms of like a, a time frame. Because um, we know we've got to do it. We yes. know it's going to make us better as runners. Now, what time frame can we look at as a runner? I mean, we know with training for a marathon, whatever, 16 weeks, 12 yeah. weeks if you're an experienced runner. Yeah. Um, strength training, it's not an overnight effect, but no. there are things that happen faster yeah. than others. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if, if we if we once again break it down, um, I think I think it would be also good just to mention a couple other things that will happen to your body before we mention the actual stimuli and stuff. Um, you know, you're not just going to get those stiffer uh, muscular tendons units. You're also going to improve your capacity to generate force because if you think about it, when we're lifting weights, we're telling them to pick up a heavy object. We're telling our muscles to produce a lot of force. And so you're going to improve the amount of force you can produce. So that's your power that mm. you get. So it's going to improve your power. So it's going to help you run faster. It's also going to help your body be able to sustain higher power levels. So when you're picking up speed in a race, it's going to be less of a stress on your body and you're less likely to get injured. Um, the way this is all working is essentially you're just generating mechanical tension um, through your muscles and you're also generating an autonomic, or not autonomic uh, nervous system drive, but a nervous system drive. Sorry, excuse autonomic, cancel that word out. Or but a nervous that. system drive. Um, so so it's, a, it's called a neural drive. So it's the ability for, of your brain to send a message to your muscles to actually contract. And that's actually where we get most of our strength gains from, um, especially in the early days of strength training. Um, and so yeah. the first one to two years of strength training, most of your gains come from your body literally being able to tell your muscles to contract better. Um, it's called neural drive. So if we think about that's how we actually gain better. So we, we gain sort of that neural drive. Maybe we also put on a little bit of muscle mass. So you increase sort of the size of your muscle cells themselves. That's what the bodybuilders go for. And I just quickly want to debunk that mm. because I think, you know, putting on muscle and bulking up is not necessarily uh, what will happen to you yep. when you run, not actually at all. And a lot of runners are put off running because they believe that that's going to happen. 100%. I mean, we'll cover this more, I think, yeah. myth busting in the end um, uh, when we get to over some myth busting, but it's definitely not in that sense. Um, yeah. As a runner, it's going to be very hard to put on a lot of muscle mass um, when you're strength training, simply because you're going to be burning a huge number of calories normally when you train. And in order to put on significant muscle gains, you need to eat a lot and eat a lot of protein. And when you eat a huge amount of protein, um, it makes you more difficult to eat other foods. You wouldn't be able to feel properly with your carbs and stuff. So, you know, by putting on muscle, your muscle cells themselves may increase slightly and you may put on an extra kg or two of muscle, but that's not going to be significant in your running journey at all in terms of limiting you and making you heavy because well, no if anything as we're going to find out it's going to be a positive thing yeah it's going to be a positive thing because it's going to make you more durable it's going to make you faster it's going to make you able to cruise for longer so the timeline for those actual benefits to take place um you'll start seeing differences within the first 12 weeks for sure but in terms of the real positive effects on your actual running performance we're looking at sort of six months and that's going two gym sessions a week on mm. average for about six months and you're rarely going to see those benefits but you will start feeling the effects and start seeing a few benefits within about 12 weeks so it is something that it's not just like a oh i've got a marathon in eight weeks now let me start strength training that'll help but it's mm. not it's it's you want to really commit to the journey you don't want to stop it after this eight weeks yeah. is more what i'm focusing and on. i just want to add to that i mean in my practice i see you know the neuromuscular adaptation just being able to 
switch on a muscle better because you're yeah. now aware of it that can happen quite quickly in the first yeah. couple of weeks yeah so just through practicing that you now are more aware of what you're doing so naturally it might not have a direct impact on your running but you'll see that initial benefit you will feel yeah. initially better but then there's almost like a little lull and that's where you just got to keep on going because yeah. then the, the the improvements are exponential Hundred percent. Um, yeah, I mean it, that's that neural drive once again. If you if you, you basically what you're doing is just asking the muscle, please produce this amount of force <laughs> and work. And if you haven't been doing it and your muscle's weak and uh, you, the signals are like not very strong to it, it's gonna be like, oh, I can't really do that. But over time, you know the adaptations you get, those the, the, you know what those firemen are doing, they're helping send that signal better to your muscles, and that's gonna be very quickly. And people will feel that very quick. They'll be like, oh, mm. I'm so much more confident when I do this lunge because you get that often. People, you ask people to do yeah. a lunge. And they haven't been doing any strength training. A lunge can be a difficult movement. You're going to feel unsteady on your feet. Um, it's not. It's not going to be easy simply to perform a bodyweight lunge. And within like two weeks, you'll yeah. have people lunging much better. And I just want to make a point of it. It's um, you know, with that particular element, there's a difference to you know strength training and actually doing the right movements so you'll mm. get people that have been doing strength training what they believe is strength training for yeah. running for the period of months um, and they're not really getting the improvement and then you know you change up the training you actually start to make it more specific and we'll chat about that obviously yeah. but you you get better adaptations if you're doing training that is going to help yeah. the movements of running is that so um i mean definitely but not not quite as like deep as people might want to get about it because you know we'll chat about specificity and, and people like to use that word specific and go a bit extreme with it where they almost try and mimic exactly yeah. what you're doing in running and your strength training but more so in the fact that like you know if you're a runner you, you probably want to focus on your lower body muscles more than you're focusing on your upper body muscles because that's where you're taking most of the load and most of the beating still do some upper body training that's going to benefit you but um you know definitely the right exercise selection is going to help i'd say the thing that most people don't do enough of is just keeping it simple. You know, the old kiss principle, keep it simple, stupid <laughs> is keeping it really simple, really basic. It doesn't actually take a lot, which we'll, we will get into, but it doesn't take a lot to get improvements. It doesn't take massive gym sessions. Mm. You probably find also what people will do is they'll think they need to do a huge amount when they go to the gym. So they'll go and they'll put like 90 minute sessions. And that was also off putting to people because they think they have to go in and do all this work and they have to go in all the time to see the benefits. And then, you know, you don't want to do that because it's going to take away from your running. But that's not the case. It takes actually, you know, just a good sort of like six exercises in a session, half an hour to 40 minutes work. That's done. I've seen elite athletes doing their gym sessions in less than half an hour and walking out the gym. Um, and that's all they do. And it's very simple and it helps a huge amount and really improves the running. And they get strong eventually as well. They get phenomenally strong, which is what's so no, impressive sure. about it. And, and the thing about neural drive is also that the way you perform your exercises will directly impact how well that exercise, how, how well you execute that exercise in terms of like whether you're activating the right muscles or you're aware of the right movement pattern. That's going to have a big difference on how the exercise has an effect on you. Am I correct? Um, yeah. I mean, I'd say yes and no. I'd say, you know, definitely yes. But once again, if you think about it, the average person starting out their journey in the gym is not going to have really great technique and stuff. So how do they get better then? Mm. You know, because you still, and that's the key is you actually still, even if you aren't doing things perfectly, you're still going to get a huge number of benefits, especially when you're starting out. And then the better you get, probably the more you, you're going to need to sort of really 
start moving a bit better but the beautiful thing is that almost starts happening naturally if you have a little bit of coaching normally that's probably going to help the most Mm. Um, and that's where it's really important to get good guidance on it Um, but you get stronger and you literally get better at doing the movements because well you practicing the movements it's just like how you get better at anything it's how you get better at anything if you think about it if you think about when you first start running and someone talks to you about running technique you're like what is this person talking about and you'll see it when you coach people yeah and they they really struggle but six months later their running technique is like massively improved and it's the same with strength training so i'd say definitely you're targeting eventually wanting to do the movements as well as possible but i'd say to someone that's starting out don't beat yourself up if you look at like a professional athlete or some influencer like you know who's like a running influencer who's really good at their strength training and they look amazing when they're performing these exercises you think oh I look nothing like that in the gyms don't beat yourself <laughs> up um if you stay consistent you're going to get better and better at it and you're still going to see those gains even especially in those early days you know if you if you aren't managing to lunge all the way down you're feeling really unsteady and you can only get four out of eight reps done while feeling comfortable and stuff it's good to get in and actually do it and try and and the effect that it would have on a runner's recovery uh just from a percentage of it might i mean we're talking about direct influencing Mm. uh direct influences but what about indirect so say now because you're strength training you are improving as a runner over time and if you improve as a runner you're able to handle more load and if you handle more load you can improve your fitness so you you naturally have these indirect responses as well um how do we look into that yeah so i mean i think it's really important to to accept that especially if you if you've never done strength training before or you have done strength training but you haven't done it in two years because you've only been running (laughs) Um, when you get back into strength training, you're going to be really sore after sessions for the first few. Even if you go super light body weight workout, keep it really simple. You're only doing two sets. You can still feel really stiff and it's probably going to impact your actual running training from a, oh, I'm not going to be able to go out and do a really high quality run. And that's normal. And it's normal. It's to be expected actually. To be expected. And actually, you know, you want a bit of it. You you do (laughs) want a bit of it and you've got to accept as well that like it's part of the process and maybe for those first couple of weeks I need to tone down the amount of running or the intensity of running I do to accept because we're adding load into your training. So you're adding a new novel stimulus into your training. Your body's not used to it. It's going to it's gonna take a little bit of time to adapt to it. So for those first two to four weeks when you add strength training in, you might need to back off your running slightly. I'm not saying cancel out whole sessions and stuff. I'm saying like if you're planning on running 12Ks on a day, you might want to run nine. But also intensity of running. And like the intensity, the speed. How hard was your run? Exactly. So you want to back off on that for those first few weeks while you're busy adapting to it. And that's going to reduce your risk of injuries and also benefit how you actually adapt to that strength training because – if you if you're suddenly beat up from a strength training session, you think, no, I'm going to tough it on and go beat myself up running. It's going to take you longer to recover, yeah. and it's going to be harder to recover. And but I, and I think that's a common question for runners. Sorry to interrupt you yeah. there. I think it's a common question. It's like, okay, well, I've got a full schedule of running. Yeah. Where am I meant to fit in my running session, uh, my, my strength training sessions? Um, is there a specific recipe there? Is it maybe better to uh, schedule them around easier runs, or perhaps you know doing it after a quality session? What would be your advice there for runners? Um, that's something, especially the scheduling it around easier hard sessions and stuff like that. You know scheduling is is very personal and very individual and also depends from coach to coach on, on athlete to athlete on how they like to add in their strength ch- sessions into the week um i'd say for like you know your more casual social runners and stuff like that you know if you have to sacrifice one of your running sessions a week to make up for doing two strength sessions it's probably worth it you know if you're running five six sure. times a week um you'd probably see more benefit from from getting wow. in those st- strength sessions 
Um, the higher level you go, obviously you, st- you need to get a lot of mileage. So then it, it's probably best if you try and almost combine it in the time when you're doing like a morning run or something mm-hmm. or like one of your runs in the week on two days of the week. And I'd, I'd normally go easier then, but at the same time, you've got to think about the risk of um, you've then done a strength session after an easy running session. So you've almost taken away one of those easy runs. Yeah. So you might feel stiff and sore. You haven't recovered as well as you should have. Yeah, you haven't recovered as well as you should have. So it also works if you you go into the gym after like a track session or you something just, like you that. You just wouldn't want to do it before a track session. Like before a key <coughs> session, perhaps not the best time to do it. Yeah, I'd say especially early on. Um, maybe, you know, some coaches will do it and have them go into the gym before a hard track session. Um, but that would be, I'd almost say, a more advanced athlete, yeah. and advanced yeah. not just on the, not just on running, but also with their strength training. Because like all things, you adapt to it over time. So like how I mentioned, you know, for those first four weeks, you're going to be taking it easy on your running side. The more yeah. you adapt, and you know, the longer time goes on, and you stay consistent with your strength training, the less you're going to feel stiff, and the less it's going to impact your actual running, and it's just going to become part of your routine, and you'll yeah. be, and it's not going to affect your running at all, and it's going to actually benefit your running. So and as you mentioned, you know, it doesn't have to be a 90 minute strength training no. session in the gym. It can be six exercises at home, a yep. couple of times a week, yep. you know, one is better than none, two is better than one. And uh, yep. you, if, as long as you're getting it done, that's the important thing. If you're getting in two 20 minute sessions wow. a week, you are doing well. I think people don't realize that that's all it needs to take. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously it can advance like everything else that we're talking about. I mean, when you started running, you probably only started with a couple of sessions a week. Um, so it's the same thing with the strength and conditioning, but I guess there comes a time where also perhaps, you know, as a runner, you don't know what's more valuable for you. So say now you're training for a marathon or you're training for something that's ultra and a lot of the coaches and people around you are telling, well, you need to do more mileage, you need to do more mileage. It's hard for them to justify the importance of strength training. But as you said, like rather remove one easy session and have a session in the gym, you're probably going to get more value. I think that's, that's extremely powerful, bro. Hundred percent. I mean, like, it's and when we get into like what's what should a session actually look like? I mean, yeah. it's really just twenty minutes twice a week. We call it microdosing almost when you do those really short sessions. It's a it's a hot topic word. Microdosing strength training, um, and you know to to branch away from just running. It, it's not just used in running. It's used in like team sports such as like soccer and football. Um, at the elite level, like at the Premiership and stuff, you know. Uh, you, some guys sometimes there's like three matches in a week you know two to yeah. three games in a week right uh then you've still got your actual training where, where do crazy. we fit in where do we fit in strength training with a yeah. team like that um and it's something that's become a lot more common that teams actually use where instead of having like two one hour sessions in a week they'll have like three to four or even as low as two 20 wow. minute sessions in a week and they're just microdosing that strength stimulus and still seeing benefits out of it um, and it's even shown in the research as well that's very interesting. And I, I mean, let's talk a little bit more about the actual session itself, you know? So we know some people will see strength training as a squat. Some people will have yeah. it as a glute bridge on the floor. Some people may see it as a world's best stretch mobility drill. Like, um, how do we define the actual different things that we can do? Yeah. And, and what sort of schedule should we try and follow yeah. uh, in terms of dividing that in a session? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a great question. So, um, <clears throat> like I said, like I mentioned earlier, the key with these strength trainings and, and with running strength training for any sport, um, but especially for runners and stuff is we want to keep the ses- session as simple as possible. Um, and we don't want it to go on too long and we don't actually require that many sort of 
I'll call them core exercises and it's the core of the session. It's the most important part of the session. So we'll talk about that first because yeah. um, that, you know, if you only have a certain amount of time to train, you're just going to focus on doing those exercises. You aren't going to, you aren't going to stress too much about fancy warm up and mobility and fancy um, rehab because what we're there to do in the gym is we're there to strength train. Yeah. We're there to get that core of the session. We're there to stimulate that st- those strength gains, those gains in mechanical stiffness and that robustness. So that's what we're going to focus on. So if you've got limited time, you're going to focus on these like six to eight exercises. So we're going to keep it in the range of six to eight exercises. I'd probably lean more towards like six exercises. And we're going to focus on doing what we call compound exercises. So these are exercises that target multiple joints at once within the body. So it's the difference between doing a squat and doing a leg extension. So if you think about it, a leg extension, if people are familiar with the gym, or maybe a bicep curl, that might be an easy analogy. Um, you're doing a bicep curl, you're only working across that elbow joint. Um, you're squeezing your bicep, you're lifting your arm up. When we go and we do something like a squat, we're bending at both the hip and the knee, and actually the ankle, right, ankle as yeah. well. So you're going across three joints there. So what does that mean? If we're going across more joints, it means we're using more muscles. So using more muscles, and you're getting bang for your buck there when you're doing a compound exercises. <laughs> if you go isolated exercises, it's not the end of the world actually because you're still getting strength gains on them, but you're going to have to do way more exercises. And that's sort of, you know, where, you know, bodybuilders love them and stuff and they're spending all, that's all their training time. It's in the gym and they want to focus on certain muscles. So they do a lot more isolation work. That being said, you know, we will occasionally do isolation work with runners, but we're going to focus on doing compound exercises and obviously we want to have a lower body focus because we're runners. That doesn't mean we're going to get rid of upper body entirely. We're going to have a lower body focus though for most of the session. So down to like the actual exercises, you know, what I would normally do is have a lower body sort of like push type movement. So, and like a double leg one. Uh, as so one of double the leg, so lower body push <clears throat> as being one of those those major exercises. Yeah. Um, what examples would... Uh, would people be able to relate to for that type of exercise so that would be basically a squat would okay. be probably be the best one squat or leg press on a leg press machine probably the two most common ones um you can split hairs about it and say the deadlifts a pull exercise it technically is a pull exercise but for runners i'm going to say deadlift is a push exercise because yes. you're pushing into pushing the ground into with the your legs. Posterior um even though you're pulling very hard with the upper body but i'd, I'd group i'd group the deadlift into that so basically a double leg sort of like s- pretty quad dominant lower body exercise. So we're thinking our squats, we're thinking our deadlifts, we're thinking of our leg presses. Those are probably the three main ones, right? And they're different variants. Yeah. There's a million squat variants in the world, right? But a squat variant, right? Um, A. So you should be (coughs) squatting as a runner. Yeah, you should be squatting um, or or leg pressing or like deadlifting. One of those three. Movement pattern. Yeah, one of those kind of movement patterns, right? (laughs) Um, then I want to have um, a single leg um, exercise that's focused in what we'd call anterior plane. So that's moving forward or backwards. So, so similar th- to what happens when you run in terms of the plane. Yeah, plane of motion. So that is a, um, <clears throat> you know, all of our lunges, um, athletic like runner's lunges where you're driving a knee up, um, Bulgarian split squats, step, um, ups. step ups, all fantastic exercises. But basically like mimic walking lunges, reverse lunges, all your lunge variants, um, but you, you're, you're bending at the knee and at the hip in sort of like a walking running pattern. It's a single leg, so it's going to work on your single leg stability and strength and your ability to produce with force with one leg mm-hmm. um, because there's, there's a difference. If you only go with two legs, that's great because you can lift a lot more weight um, and it's going to increase your overall strength, um, but you're not going to be as good at producing force in one leg unless you actually do that. You yeah. need to actually 
practice, practice it. You need to practice it. Um, so we're going to include a lunge type movement pattern or, a, you know, any sort of single leg sort of moving forward. We call it anterior plane <coughs> exercise. Then I'm probably going to do a um, hamstring dominant exercise. Um, and over the course of my week, I'll want to do a hamstring dominant exercise that is focused from the knee on one day and probably from the hip at the other day because the hamstrings are a tricky muscle group. And one of the reasons they get injured so often, it's not the only reason, um, is because it's having to work at bending your knee and straightening up your hip, flexing your hip. So it's doing a lot of work. With yeah, each stretching a hell of a lot. Stretching and shortening and producing yeah. force rapidly and across two joints often. So um, if you don't practice producing force behind the knee and behind from the hip um, with your hammies, then it's not going to be good at doing that. It's only going to be really strong around the knee or it's going to be really strong around the hip. So um, knee-dominant hamstring exercises would be, uh, you know, yeah, is where you might want to throw in some like isolation exercises such as like hamstring curls and a hamstring curl machine. Um, but there are also things that you can do such as hamstring bridges, um, which is where it's almost like a reverse plank with your like foot up on a bench and you've got a slight bend in the knee and you're lifting your hips up and it burns. It's a horrible one. Would you throw a Nordic into this one? Nordics are a great example of it. They're a difficult exercise and they hurt a lot. And we'll get into some specifics about that Um when get to like, well, when we get into more like how many reps and stuff I should yeah. be doing. So Nordic hammy curls are another one. Great exercise, especially for sort of injury prevention and being able to handle high amounts of force in your hamstrings. Just to, to give you a visual representation of what a Nordic looks like. If you can think of someone kneeling and someone holding their legs down, their, their, their ankles down to the floor, and you're asking that person to bend over towards the floor, keeping their body straight from knee to shoulder. Um that's something that if you haven't tried, it's an extremely difficult movement. Uh, it's one of the hardest <laughs> movements in all of like strength training and people get phenomenally good at them. They can end up repping them out. But um, if you can ever get to the ground without yeah. falling, you are doing really, really well. And you should give yourself a pat on the back. Um, so yeah, Nordicami kills are another phenomenal one. Um, Google it if you want to see what it looks like. Uh, and another one that's also I'm, I'm a real fan of with runners is physio ball hamstring calls. And this is actually a nice one because it actually technically works the hammies across both the knee and the hip. Nordics do a little bit as well, yeah. um, but Nordics are probably more knee dominant. Um, physio ball hamstring curl. For sure. Google that as well Love and you'll get a one. picture of that one. Um, it's a bit of a weird one to describe. <laughs> so those would be your knee dominant ones. That'd be sort of more, you know, hammy curls on a machine, hammy bridges. So you'd Google that one. Nordic hamstring curls and physio ball hammy curls then our hip dominant hamstring exercises are sort of more of our like where we would bring in like our romanian deadlifts our single-legged mm. romanian deadlifts mm. um hip thrusts so glute thrusts um mm. people will know them more for like people on Inst instagram trying to build glutes um, trying to build the booty um but they're actually not just glute dominant but they they hammy as well so they work your hammies a lot as well so fantastic exercise um just like romanian deadlifts also actually work your glutes at the same time they don't just mm. work your hamstrings because they're working the muscles across the hip so yeah so there's your hammy exercises and i'd pick one day probably as a runner because you're not going to fit in both a knee dominant and a hip dominant hamstring exercise in the same session yeah. if you can yeah. and you've got the time as a runner you've got lots of time cool go ahead do it but you're probably going to split them up over like if you have two days to do strength training um <clears throat> Then the next thing we could probably going to focus on is like a calf exercise if we're still focusing on the lower body. So if you think about it, we've got a low body push, we've got a single leg movement, and then um, we've got a hammy dominant, dominant movement, and now we're going for a calf dominant movement. So these are our calf raises. Um, there's plenty of variants we can do. So there's moving calf raises. We're actually lifting up and down. 
You can do asymmetric calf raises, which is where you're actually just staying up on your toes and holding it. Um, and now what we want to do is we want to actually get in, you know, once a week probably or once or twice a week with straight leg. So that's where our knee is actually straight. And then once or twice a week um, with right. a bent leg. And the reason for that is because a straight-legged one is, is sort of more focused on your outer calf muscle, the, the gastrocnemius, where the bent leg one's focused on the soleus, uh, which is the muscle, it's a deep muscle underneath, it's a calf yeah. muscle underneath that outer one. And I mean, personally, from my mm. clinical perspective, I see a lot of issues with that particular muscle, the soleus. I think a lot of runners note the gastrocnemius, they mm. know that big bulgy muscle yes. at the top of the calf, but they don't understand the importance of the soleus and the impact it has on Achilles and all kinds of stability in the lower leg. And actually a lot of runners, you know, they utilize mostly their soleus when they run and they don't yeah. even like understand that. Oh, right, I think everyone does. So I can't, I wish I could remember the actual number, but the amount of force that your soleus, not your gastroc, your gastroc takes as well, but your soleus takes, yeah. um, is huge. It takes, it takes like, two or three times your body weight with each step or something. I, I can't remember the Don't quote me on that. Um, but it also takes like a huge percentage of the force through the low leg yeah. as well. So you're using that soleus a oh, lot so with each step. It's a key one for me. So it's a key one. It's it's If someone has lower leg problems and calf pain and stuff, you've got to get their soleus strong. As a runner, I'd recommend getting that soleus strong. So that's when you're doing your bent leg calf raise movements. So... There's your calf raises we are just lifting up and down and your isometrics are a fantastic one as well. So that's where you sort of just staying on your tiptoes either with a bent or a straight leg and you're just holding it for a certain amount of time depending on how much weight you hold because you can hold dumbbells while you do these things. You can go under a squat bar. You can go under an unmovable squat bar where you can't actually lift it up anymore but you're pushing against it as hard as you can. Um, it'll vary how long you actually hold it for. It could be as short as six seconds for mm. a good isometric set on your calves or any muscle group. Um, but then you're producing maximal force. So you're going as hard as you can. So that would be going against like an unmovable object. Um, or you can take it up to like 30 seconds, 45 seconds or a minute. Say if you're just doing body weight, double leg one, mm. um, and you've been doing it for a couple of weeks, you can probably get to a minute. Uh, and would you have any sort of balance top movements? So to, to work a little bit more on that proprioception? Um, so I wouldn't include it in the core of my workout because um what happens is when you're getting stronger your balance automatically improves with all those other exercises so you will see a massive benefit to balance so you waste of time essentially and um, I, I don't like set. to i don't like to use it as a waste of time it's just your main set the whole point is to get stronger yeah. with it because that's yeah. where we're going to get yeah. most of the benefits that we're going to get for running and um you know, fun fact, anytime we throw some form of instability into a strength exercise, if you're doing any kind of strength work on like a stability pad or a BOSU ball or something like that, you can only produce maximally about, you can only get a maximal muscle recruitment of about 70% in your wow, primary, that is primary muscle group. So you can't, you, you physically cannot produce as much. Yeah. It often feels worse because those little stabilizers are working so hard. So you get a big burn, but you aren't actually work. You can't produce the same force. So you... So you can't get as strong only yeah. doing balance work. That being said, we'll get into that a bit outside yeah. of the core thing because there is a time and a place, you know, for everything. And I'd never say something's like a waste. I don't like to use that word. Yeah. Um, but I just, it, it wouldn't be my personal focus in a core set. That being said, it always depends. And with certain athletes, if they only have a certain amount of time and I feel they really, this would really benefit, benefit. them. 
then but I also probably the timing would do it. of it, what the what the purpose of that strength yeah. training session is, because you know not every strength training session is going to need to be the type of strength training session that we're describing right now. Right 100%. now, we are talking about what your idyllic strength and conditioning se- sessions should look like if you're a runner that doesn't know yeah. what they should be doing in the gym. But again, it follows sort of a periodization, a phase, yeah. a phases, phases of training, just like you would with your running. Um, you know, you're not just going to go and run a marathon and now start running a long run straight away and only do that. Like your, your training peaks you for certain elements. And I'm sure we can chat a little bit about how as a strength training session, uh, how do we alter that for different times of the season? Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that in a sec. hundred percent. What we're talking about right now is your most basic you know, core base of what you would need in strength training for a runner in a yeah. running session. We'll get into the variance and the other work, especially stuff like plyometrics. We're going to yeah. talk about that. Um, that is very useful. And especially the better you get uh, at running or the faster you get and the more harder it is to get gains, stuff like that's going to really help you get better. But I'm also a big fan of plyometrics uh, and other exercises just for health reasons and keeping people's joints really strong and healthy. But then basically just to finish off, so our four exercises, the final two after our um, lower body push, our single leg straight one, our hammy dominance and our calf focused is we just want to do an upper body push or press. So that would be either like push-ups, bench press, shoulder press type thing and an upper body pull. So that would be your pull-ups, um, bent over rows, um, all that kind of stuff over there. And that's all I'd really stress too much with with the upper body. So that would be, that would be my six sort of like you know, exercise groups to yes. contain in a core of a session. Yeah, yeah. So then <clears throat> now we're going to get into sort of all the 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 fun, juicy extras that we might want to do. And once you want to, you've, you've maybe built a nice space with all of these, you want to like sort of swap something out. Um, you know, we're going to talk about, I think plyometrics is probably the next, the next one to talk about because in terms of usefulness and difference it's going to make to your overall performance, massive. Before we get to plyometrics, and could we yeah. maybe just describe the difference between strength and power? Yeah, so strength is your ability to produce force, right? So essentially, it's your maximal ability to produce force. Forces, uh, <laughs> if, you, if you talk about Newton's you know, laws, um, it's, you know, when a force acts in an object is trying to move that object. Um, <clears throat> I won't get into the maths behind it. No, please don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's picking up a weight. It's how much weight you can lift overall. And literally weight Newtons is that the correct thing for force if we're talking physics. Um, but yeah, so basically it's the maximal amount of force you can apply to an object, the maximal amount of weight you can lift. The heaviest weight you could push in the gym is the simplest way to think of it. So yeah. if I'm talking about a movement like bench press, it'd be the heaviest amount of weights I could bench press or the heaviest amount of weights I could squat. Not that I'm going to be getting people to do one RMs all the time when you're just an, a casual runner. Um, power is how quickly and how much force you can produce at once. So it's, when you take that force, how quickly can you actually produce it? So in a car analogy, your, your top speed in a car is your strength and your acceleration is your, is your power. I wouldn't even say that. I'd say I'd say your strength is on the low revs, and you're trying to get the car move, like you know, <laughs> like you, you like how much weight the car can actually pull. Um, okay. If you're towing it, power, like the towing power of it. Um, yeah, a car analogy wouldn't be good because that's all power. It's all watts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. No. Keep going. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I think we get a bit tricky there. But it's it's essentially the difference between like um, how fast I can move a weight and how much weight overall I can lift. And your peak power is, is going to fall somewhere in between. Cause if you think about it, the lighter the weight is relative to what you can lift, the faster you're going to be able to move it. So the fastest you're going to be able to move is when you have no weight. So like when you're trying to jump, 
you're going to fly, you know, if you don't have anything in your back. Try to jump with 100 kgs on your back. It's going to be very difficult and you're going to move slower. So when you're talking about your one rep max, you're moving slowly, 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 trying to grind that weight up. Um, when you're going body weight, you're going to fly, lots of speed, and then your peak power is going to fall in the middle of that. So it's a reasonably heavy weight okay. and you're moving it as fast as you can. And you still can move it pretty quickly. So that's where your power exercises come in. Brilliant. So I think then we can sort of move into what you were talking about with ply- with pliers. Yeah, so plyometrics, um, we've mentioned this word, we haven't explained what they are yet. Um, uh, essentially- and I love pliers. Oh, pliers. For runners, are, for runners I mean, it's such, such a key thing to do. Such a key thing, and they're so much fun as well. They're fun to do. Um, so plyometrics are essentially any exercise that works your stretch shortening cycle. So it does get a bit sciencey here. Your stretch short- shortening cycle, what is that? Um, you may have heard someone compare muscles to like elastic or elastic bands or mention the word elasticity around muscles. And this is all to do with stretch shortened cycle. So if you think about it, if we use the analogy of our muscles are an elastic band and when we go and we perform a movement, so like say we do a squat and we're going down into the bottom of the squat. If you think about your quad muscle, it's lengthening, it's stretching, right? So that's the stretch part of the stretch shortened cycle. So say we're just doing a body weight squat, we're going down into that squat, it stretches, then when we want to go up, it's going to shorten, right? So shorten cycle. Now, what's often left out about that is there's a huge elastic component to this. So if you were to go down and to squat quickly, you're stretching the muscle like an elastic band, but when you go up, it's going to shorten rapidly and that stretch is actually going to aid the speed it shortens. So just like how an elastic band will snap back to a shortened position, your muscle's also going to do that. And it does that using your muscle tendons as well as the muscle itself, the whole muscular tendinous unit stretches. So your tendons will stretch, your muscles will stretch, they're little signaling things within your muscle that pick up the stretch and that sends a, a signal to your brain and your spinal, well, your, your actually your spinal <laughs> nerve. And then it tells your muscles to contract really rapidly and you're going to go up. And the faster you change from that you know, lengthening position to shorten. to shorten, the more of that elastic effect is going to take place. So once again, using the elastic band, if you yeah. pull it back and just let go of it straight away, it's going to have its most power. Yeah. If you hold it. hold it there, you actually waste that energy and it dissipates and you're not going to get any benefit from it. So if I go down into a squat and I stand up straight away as fast as I can from the bottom position to the top position, I'm going to get a huge boost in added power from that stretch shortened cycle. Yeah. Whereas if I go down into that squat and I stay there and I stay there and I stay there, I'm not going to get any benefit because I've run out of all my elasticity. So plyometric exercises are fast, typically rapidly moving exercises. Exercises we're trying to get that rapid stretch of the muscle and that rapid shorten of the muscle straight away. Um, People always like to use the term it's a jumping exercise because of the most common exercise, plyometric exercises probably people think of are jumps, but no, that's not true. It's any exercise where you have a rapid shorten, a rapid lengthening of the muscles a into rapid a rapid shortening. shortening of the muscles. So it could be a strength exercise performed really quickly. It could become yeah. a plyometric exercise. And this is where the details of what you're saying is important because if you're now doing a squat jump or let's say like you can even do like a box jump, but if yeah. you're holding yourself at the bottom of your squat instead of trying to react as quickly as you can, are you then sort of defeating a little bit of the purpose of the exercise or is there a place for say beginners to start there and then develop it because i also find that sometimes that quick shortening and lengthening is quite a scary thing for people to do that don't have the coordination to do it it's a skill it's a, it's a literal skill yeah. um you know we test athletes 
jumping ability, the kind of movement jump. And some people are just springy, man. Yeah, some are springy, but also <laughs> some some have that ability. But when as soon as you ask them to do it and they have to think about it, they can't do it. And because it's a real skill to be able to rapidly go sort of like down and up or rapidly move um, and move coordinated. So I wouldn't say you, you're losing out that much on it. So yeah, you're going to lose that initial stretch mm. shorten because you've paused at the bottom of the squat. But you'll still get the ability to react fast well, and generate force. Yeah, so a couple of things will happen. You still have to try and produce force very quickly when you're going on the way up. You're just not getting that extra kick from the stretch mm. shorten. But what goes up, so you go up into the air, must come down and land. So that's the opposite. And so when you're landing with any kind of jumping exercise, and this is why plyometrics are so popular, you that is an e, that is a stretch shorten cycle movement that landing movement because there's a huge eccentric so that so that's lengthening of the muscle so there's a big lengthening of your muscles to absorb all that weight and then they also shoot it back up to just mm. stabilize you and stand in there so the actual landing of a jump is is um has got a stretch shorten cycle and it's plyometric in nature and, and when would you add plyometrics i mean we talked about the ideal exercises that we need to be doing uh, where yep. do plyometrics fit in so I'm going to try from as early on as possible with someone, get some form of plyometrics in, where I'd normally incorporate them in. So now we're going beyond sort of those six core movements, uh, or not movements, so sort of like six core exercises. Um, to start off with plyometrics, I'm probably going to start adding it into the warm-up and include it as a component of warm-up for most people coming into the gym. And whilst you mentioned that, it's also important to understand that there are some plyometric movements that you can be doing as part of a running warm-up, not necessarily yeah. only in the gym. Yeah, so I think also what we didn't do, um, now that I think about it, is we haven't listed actually sort of plyometric mm. exercise examples. We've just explained what they are yeah. um, without giving any examples. So examples of plyometric exercises would be sort of any kind of jumping exercise you do. Any kind of jumping exercise is going to be plyometric in nature because as soon as you go up, you've got to land. Um, so even if you do sort of pause jump, so that's going to be skipping, which is going to be a lovely low intensity, very easy access plyometric one. Pogo hops are one. You may have seen this is where you sort of like jump with stiff legs and you, you're trying to bounce like a pogo, like you're on a pogo stick, but you're using your legs. Um, sort of box jumps, vertical jumps, broad jumps. We're trying to jump as far as possible. Mm. You can get really fancy and start doing like sort of um, repeated um, <clears throat> sort of broad jumps. We're trying to um, get off, you know, land and immediately jump again instead of resetting and jumping single leg hops um a fantastic advanced plyometric exercise there's a whole range mm. basically the, the the more force that gets produced or like the more force your body has to absorb when you land in a jump the more advanced that exercise is going to be so we that's like any kind of jump exercise it doesn't even have to be forward forwards forward direction you can do lateral ones where you're jumping side to side um they're all great another plyometric exercise that people don't realize is a plyometric exercise is sprinting um, I mean, technically running is low level plyometrics because there's stretch shorten cycles happening every single step you run. So that classifies. But um, in terms of really training plyometric ability, running fast is mm. phenomenal. And sprinting, maximal sprinting, maximal speed running. Um, we'll get into that, I think, in a, very shortly when we talk about sort of myths and tips and, mm. and stuff. But that would be one of my biggest tips and biggest things is to actually include some maximal velocity sprinting in your running routine because that is probably if we're talking about being specific to your running that's about as specific as you get because you are actually running and so many people forget how to run fast yeah you, you finished playing team sport in high school or university and then you never sprint again for the rest of your life as the average person <laughs> that's crazy if you think about it we, we like you never sprint again 
When do you ever? And then I you think try that to. will be the poll question that I'll put on this podcast: is when <laughs> did you last sprint? Yeah, when did you last? Because <laughs> and then what happens is, is you 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 know you get some kids and you they they wanting to play touch rugby one day and you try to show up for <laughs> glory days or something or or you know, yeah, know and for, uh, for me as the dad's relay race at the school man dads and moms I've seen it <laughs> you know dads and moms relay race um and <laughs> Achilles goes because yeah. <laughs> you haven't because uh, you know it you know um this is definitely take note of this um you can't just launch into sprinting you've got to ease into it <laughs> yeah um, sure. but building up to the point where you can actually include some maximal velocity of sprinting and we'll get into how to do that um is super super beneficial as a plyometric exercise um it's going to get all the muscles and tendons that you need for running way stronger way more powerful and way more you know durable and able to handle high amounts of force so that's going to be great for your running economy your running speed everything about your running um and then i'd probably say other ones are sort of power movements in the gym so we've got our jumps we've got sprinting so running fast and and maximal sprinting and then movements in the gym that are sort of power movements um for people that really know this stuff these are like your olympic lifting derivatives so um you know weightlifters at the olympics movements based off of that but it can be something as simple as a short range um like squat so like a quarter squat but done really fast with a heavy weight would would technically count as a plyometric movement um but then also like weighted squat jumps and stuff um very advanced plyometrics i wouldn't just throw those onto a novice athlete mm. uh, um, and a novice runner or gym athlete uh, you'd have to really build into that, but weighted jumps and stuff, um, all fantastic for working on that stretch shortened cycle. Um, but basically really explosively and rapidly doing strength movements. Don't just um, launch into this. If you're li- listening to this, these no, are sure. we're talking advanced quite movements. advanced right now. Yeah. And I actually want to take it back to the most basic because there was an interesting study that recently was released. And I want to just quickly chat about yeah. it because I like to actually mention this to the, the people that are, that are, that I coach and that I help. So the skipping, how important yes. is skipping and how much benefit can it have on our running? Um, so yeah, I shared a, an article with you. It came out within the last, I think three years. Um, uh, so skipping is a low intensity plyometric. Um, so any time where you're not producing high amounts of force, you're just doing your little hops and stuff. Um, so it's very basic. Very I mean, basic. Most people should be able to even just hop on the spot. Exactly. You don't even need a skipping rope yeah. at its most basic level to get the benefits. You can just pretend to skip and hop up and down. Not very high because the higher you hop, the more advanced it's going to get and you're not going to be able to do that for very long. But basically what the study did is they took um, – it was quite a large number of runners. and it was like over 40 runners. Yeah, it was, um, it was a good oh. – And they had them skip just as a part of their warm-up for their regular runs. Um, so it was three to four times a week and it was just five minutes each time within their running warm-up. So if you think about that, that's only 20 minutes across the whole week, uh, total skipping volume. Obviously, when you first start out, you can't skip solidly for five minutes. So I assume, um, and you go and do a deeper dive on the study, that basically you, you sort of rest as you must um, within that five minutes, but you try to skip for as long as possible over that five minutes. Uh, and they did it for, I think it was 10 weeks. Um, hmm. I'm struggling on the details here. It was 10 weeks, two groups. Two groups, 10 weeks. So 96 people yeah. split in half. 96, so it was 40 in each group. 10 weeks. So they only did this for 10 weeks. 10 weeks. And I think you've got the numbers there. You can read out the numbers that they improved percentage-wise on both. I think the two most important ones would be their jumping ability cause, and um, yeah. their time trial performance. So their time trial performance was crazy, but their, their counter movement <clears throat> jump improved by 10%. So it improved their jump out by 10% in 10 weeks. That's phenomenal. The people that didn't do it, actually, they didn't get any improvement at all. They got none. Yeah. They yeah. actually went backwards in their ability. 
Oh, wow. Okay. 0.5% backwards. No ways. <laughs> but the, the time trial performance, that for me is a crazy one because it, for the people that train for 10 weeks, so obviously they're still trained, so they're still improved. Yeah. They improved by 1.5%. Yes. The people that did the, the, the simple skipping protocol that we're talking about improved by 3%. That's yes. double the percentage improvement in 10 weeks. And they're doing the same running training programs. Yeah. I think, if, yeah. if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm assuming so. I need to go and do, read the, the study. But that's properly. crazy. And that's double the performance. Double the performance. Doing but, but doing the exact same running, which is yeah. the key. You know, yeah. that, that's Because that's the only way to really execute that study. You have so to have them in the same Everybody should be program. able to do some basic hopping around, man. Oh, yeah. Hugely, you can, hugely. It can benefit you so much. So much. And I mean, the way it works, you know, and the way they probably got those improvements, if you go and you want to read the study yourself, and maybe we can put a yeah, link we, to that we, study. We can definitely post on it. Yeah. Uh, we'll put a link to the study when uh, I think this podcast goes out. But um, is is it improves that vertical stiffness hugely is one of the main components. And that's one of the biggest things from plyometrics. Because you rarely, with plyometrics, you, you're very, very accurately working the ability of your joints to like be stiff and strong and be able to rebound off the ground and produce mm. force. It's going to have huge benefits, which is why it's so good for runners. Um, the reasons why I haven't included it in like my core session for the average runner is because, um, you know, they're very easy to overdo. You can't sustain a high load of them. Um, there's been lots of evidence done. You know, people like to measure plyometric training sessions. So if you were to do just a purely plyometric strength focus session, a number of like foot contacts on the ground. And you only yeah. sort of recommend a certain number of foot contacts. And it depends on how hard you're going within a session and stuff as to how many foot contacts you're allowed. Um, but a, a great place, I think, for the average runner to fit it in is within their warm up and with something mm. as simple as skipping. And then as you build it up, finishing off your warm up maybe with something like some box jumps or some broad jumps and, and stuff. And even their running warm up. Yeah, or your running warm-up. Great time to do it. And it takes very little time. And if you're doing this two to three times a week, just getting in within your warm-ups some skipping um, and then being able to build it up to do maybe some skipping and some broad jumps or some mm. vertical jumps and stuff, it's going to have a huge benefit without sure. a lot of effort. And I love that we bring this in and because I know a lot of the stuff that we're talking about is gym-related work. And you know, for a lot of runners, they don't actually have access to a gym yeah. or even access yeah. to equipment. And this is just such a fantastic thing to yeah. get improvement yeah well that's why all of the movement patterns are listed when i said my core exercises can be done body weight without a gym or done with makeshift stuff at home um or you know rocks <laughs> if you're really if you're you really that plan. keen rocks or cinder blocks or something you can find something you can you can fill a bucket with some cement i have done it with a friend before um <laughs> and still get a good workout and using these movements um, so I like a good old five <coughs> liter water bottle. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, so yeah, it doesn't actually require gym to do. And you know, that brings us back to where do we fit it in? Well, you know, if you really, really had a push, you can fit in 20 minutes of strength work. You can get through six exercises in 20 minutes or even five. You can just pick your most important ones that you feel out of those ones and get through like five to six exercises plus some jumps within 20 minutes after like a track session or after a running session in the week. And you can do that two times a week and you're just extending your session then by 20 minutes. So you're thinking, oh, I have to get to the gym. How am I going to do that? No, you, you can do it. And yeah. just doing it body weights and building up to being able to maybe do some jumps and stuff within it um, would fantastically benefit you over time if you stay consistent with it. I mean, the data is there to be seen. There's so many different things that we have been able to cover and, and spoken about. I still think I just chatting to you today and I mean I can see why runners struggle with it is because mm. there is so much so it's like it's like 
when you know too much, you just don't want to do any of it. Yes. And you you don't know where to start. Yes. So I hope that we've been able to cover some basics for people to sort of understand why it's important and how you can go about yeah. starting it. But I think some people are still scared. You know, they're scared of the myths that come with strength training. I mean, not a lot of the old school mentality is just run, 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 you know, mileage is king. That's all you got to do, you know, getting into the gym, doing cross training, even all those other elements that we're not going to cover today. There's a certain taboo that comes with it from an older generation, I feel. And, and, and the education is what's going to really help uh, make people understand the need for it. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of myths about strength training running. I'd say well, <laughs> the first myth is, I'm going to get bulky. Um, and we've already mentioned that's going to be very, very hard to do. So you, you, you need to eat a lot in order to put on a, a substantial amount of muscle. And it doesn't take place quickly getting bulky. I have been jibbing really well for about 15 years. And it's taken me a huge, and I've been a sprinter in that time. So I wasn't an endurance athlete. I was doing pure power work, like pure my only goal was to like get strong, put on muscle, be able to move fast. And, it, and you know, if I've put on like eight, nine kgs of muscle in 15 years, like I think that's a lot, you know. Um, I'm saying this right now because I don't know how much fat I've put on of late <laughs> in the UK. Um, and that's going to, you know, that's going to be the average person is yeah. you're going to really struggle. Um, you know, your body only really starts putting on mass um like when you're eating enough and also when you've been spending enough time in the gym itself as well. So we mentioned a huge number of the benefits you get is from that neural drive and the actual sort of like adaptations to your joint strength and your, your whole skeletal muscular system. But that hypertrophy effect putting on muscle, you know, you need to be working out for like like six months or more. Sure, that's a long time. With the goal of really trying to do it, really pushing um, – you know, the volume and, uh, you know, pushing to failure and stuff in order to get there. So, yeah, that's, that's, um, it's, it's, yeah, it makes complete sense. Before we go on to the next myth, I just yeah. want to ask you, we didn't really cover reps and, and sets. Yeah. And I think that sort of will tie up the big understanding difference between like the, what type of training is going to give you a certain adaptation. Yeah. You read my mind. Um, so I think it does tie in very well. So, I mean, like reps and sets, um, I, I like to focus more on so sort of like progression. Um, so the whole thing is, you know, the traditional way of looking at, at what we get out of um, strength training is people always used to say, if you do 20 reps or more, you're going to improve your muscular endurance. And if you do 10 to 15 reps, you're going to work on your hypertrophy. So that's putting on muscle. And if you do like eight reps or less, you, you, you're improving your strength. Um, and the case the reality about that, it's actually a lot more simple and a little bit more complicated at the same time. Um, <laughs> <So> nothing, nothing's <clears throat> in a straightforward. It's basically, it's, it's, you've always got to think about it. What am I actually telling my muscles to do when I do something? And that's going to break it up. Because the thing is, is you can put on muscle when you're doing it. You know, the research has shown. If we talk about hypertrophy, just as a simple example, putting on muscle, you can put on muscle doing 30 to 100 to 15 to 10 to one rep a set. Crazy. But the key is is you need to hit enough sets to failure within a week. And it's normally sort of like t a good target is like 10 sets to failure. So by failure means like you, you're pretty much at the limit where you couldn't do another rep. Or I like to think of you couldn't do another rep with like the quality of technique that you're producing all the other reps. 
Um, and you need to be eating, con- consuming enough protein and calories, and then you're going to put on put on muscle, regardless yeah. of the rep scheme. As long as you're doing that, you're going to failure. You're doing it in enough sets in the week. Doesn't matter as many reps. But then where it gets and a bit- just to break it up, going to failure is going to the point where you feel tired or where you feel like you can't execute the movement anymore. Yeah, yeah I'd say where you can't execute the movement, where you're thinking like, oh, I'm risking stuff okay. if I do another rep or two. Cool. Um, and you can pull back within a rep of that and, you know, even be slightly before that. And I'd say you're still going enough to get like, you know, both a strength and a, and a, maybe a hypertrophy stimulus if that's what you're wanting. And that obviously is what also equates to the pain that we feel yeah. the yeah. next couple of days that is normal with some strength training. Yeah, 100% it's normal. I mean, it's going to happen even if you don't go close to failure and you aren't used to it. It's probably going to do that. Cool. So, but if we if what we wanting to do is we, we actually wanting to sort of work on our ability to produce force with our muscles and we want to get tension on the muscles themselves um, in order to produce force and maybe produce force quickly eventually. So what we're going to be focusing on doing is maybe lifting moderate to heavyish weights is what I'd say. And we're probably going to be in the realm of anywhere of like three to eight reps. And that's going to depend. I'm probably with beginners going to start around eight reps or maybe even eight to 10 reps. Um, the reason why I'd go higher is because you're getting higher repetition. So that's more practice on a movement. And so if you're a real beginner, we might have higher reps because each mm. rep you do, you're practicing that movement. You're going to yeah. get better at it. Um, but it's going to be when you're starting off light, but we're focusing on eventually going sort of like maybe moderate to heavyish weight um, <clears throat> for our exercises. So I'd say simple thing is would be like three sets, eight reps on an exercise, a moderate weight. So that would be a weight for eight reps that at the end of that set, if I had to ask you how hard was that set, you'd probably say about a seven to an eight out of 10, not like a nine to a 10 yeah. out of 10. So it's not the heaviest you can lift for eight reps, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So that would be like a moderate like a moderate uh, weight. And that would probably be the at the most basic level and the core of most programs that program for runners. We're probably going around eight reps, three sets for an exercise would probably be a good starting point. Cool. And then obviously depending on people's goals, it'll change. If I think people need to really get stronger or they're struggling to improve their strength gains, then we need to lift heavier. Yeah, and it so obviously depends on your needs as a runner and everyone's yes. individual. I think that's important to mention this again because that's why it's so hard to give general advice over so a hard. topic that is so complicated already as is. Yeah. I mean, everyone's an individual, both physically, physiologically, yeah. uh, where they're at in their running journey, yeah. all these things matter. And you that's why you need to seek professional advice yeah. if you're not too sure how to step it up in the gym. I mean, we we speak about the basic stuff like like skipping, yeah, short go and do some skipping in your yeah. home. That's important. But the moment you're trying to actually get take your training to the next level, it's important to get the right advice. 100%. Because they, they, they're the ones that are really going to get to know you personally because you know we're talking here and it's quite general and I don't I don't if you're listening to this you know I don't know you what your history is your injury history what your goals are mm. um, and so it's going to be different slightly different for everyone but I mean these are just the basics of you know most people we're probably going to go in that sort of five to eight rep range it's not going to overstress you too much going to be a moderate weight if you wanted to get really get stronger you need to lift heavier but you can't lift really heavy for that many reps so then we're looking at like five reps or less um, and with a heavy weight and then for some people, they don't handle that well, like even some pro athletes I've encountered. Um, and we maybe then focus more on like going lighter, but really focusing on like speed of movement. So that's another way yeah. we'd run. So that would probably be the other most common thing. So I'd probably go like either like eight, like in the five to eight rep range, moderate weight, or I'd go really light and have people trying to move fast. And that's especially for people where they just feel like, yo, I cannot perform at running at all if I lift like moderate weights for like eight reps. They feel like it shatters them. They can't get their sessions done. 
and then we adapted for them and yeah. we go lighter we focus on producing that force nice and quickly they don't get too stiff but they still get a huge number of benefits and one thing that i didn't mention obviously it then also matters where you are at in your running season so yeah. say your off-season training or your training directly post-marathon or your training in the weeks leading up to a marathon that's also going to look different right very different so i mean you know it, it used to be like you used to use like really different rep schemes at different times of the year there was like a general prep phase people like you talk about things like classic periodization models and stuff like that but what i've sort of learned to do is simplify it a bit more so the further away from your race that you actually are um and if you're in like a fit state normally the harder you're able to train because you aren't risking training yourself into the dust too close to your race and risking an injury too close to whatever your goal is so like our general prep phase now is like generally the time where you can really push yourself. So that means like you, you're hitting close to like as like failure within your sets mm. or you or the number of sets that you do, you're pushing it a little bit more. Or perhaps you are pushing that larger weight or yeah. less repetitions. Larger weights, less repetitions and stuff like that um, over there, really trying to build our strength and build that strength base. Um, and then the closer we get to um, the actual race, maybe we'll still incorporate a little bit of like that pure strength work, but then we're probably going to like ease back on the intensity a little bit because now we're shifting more from having really high quality strength sessions to having really high quality running sessions. For sure. Because you don't want your strength session to then get in the way of your running session. If you, if you, if you have a specific race goal in mind, this is for a person with an actual goal. And it's goal. totally okay for running session to get in the way of your strength session. Yeah. It's like, because you are at the end of the day trying to improve as a runner and yeah. running needs to come first. Yeah. So if you've got a hard track session and then you wanted to put in a hard set of gym lifting in the afternoon and you just don't feel up to it, yeah. then that's when it's also totally okay to pull the plug on the strength training because running is important. 100%. Nobody at the start line of a marathon cares if you squat 200 kilos. <laughs> um, you know, so like, I mean, Ant would be pretty damn impressed. I'd be impressed that you're running a marathon and you can squat 200 kilos. I'd be like, wow, <laughs> what does your training look like? But yeah, no, it's definitely the closer you get to like your actual running goal. Um, we're probably going to like, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be moving like lighter weights. Um, yeah. I might drop the number of reps that you do, even if even though we are losing, using lighter weights. Um, I might drop the number of sets that we're going to do in a session. So the sessions generally become easier, but we're still getting a little bit of a stimulus to try and maintain sort of like what we've built up in that earlier phase of like a of a preparation season. If we think about our running season as like a whole overarching year-long endeavor. Um, so you're going you're gonna to push yourself a bit harder probably in the gym the further away you are from like your actual sort of like main primary goal. And this is more for people with performance. Yeah. For the average runner who's just trying to like run and enjoy they're running you know your strength training is probably going to look similar all year round and the, what you're going to focus on over time is a very i think it's a good segue into the the word progression mm. um where just over time in order to get better you need to progress um what you're doing and now this is also le leads into a pretty good myth around strength training progression people often think means doing fancier and fancier exercises <laughs> Uh, functional exercises functional yeah <laughs> they love you know the, the, the world loves the word functional especially the world of social media loves the word <laughs> functional because it's a really easy way to sell something um so people often think of pro progression in terms of um doing fancier and fancy exercises i'm not saying that like changing up and like progressing an, an exercise to a more difficult version of that exercise isn't a form of progression it's just probably the least go-to method i'd use um, just because it, you can get so funny about it that you aren't training what you think you're training anymore. 
Um, but what I mean is either you progress the weight you're lifting for the same number of reps you're lifting. So if I lifted 10 kilos for 10 reps last week um, and I'm feeling really good and 10 kilos last week was super easy um, and I was, I, I'm wanting to be an 8 out of 10 and it was like a 4 out of 10, next week I'm maybe going to lift 12 kilos. Mm. I'm not going to jump to 20 because that would be silly and I might injure myself and I'm going to not be able to run the next day because I'll be so stiff. But we progress slightly. And if you think about it, if, if you pr- keep progressing like two kilos each week even, you wouldn't be able to keep that up for forever because you'd become the strongest person in the world within like two years <laughs> or, or less. And then you might bulk uh, up a little bit. Yeah, you might. So yeah, you increase the number of amount of weight you lift. You can increase the number of reps you perform at the same weight or you can increase the number of sets overall you do on that exercise. It would probably be the three most common ways to progress something. Notice I didn't say change the exercise. And this is where like that the myth really comes in and it's attached to another myth is that, you know, people want to change their exercises all the time in the gym, but progression and being able to improve really well with the strength training looks boring. So it goes back to keep it simple. Keep it simple, stupid. It is boring. The best, you know, sort of, and if we think about pure strength athletes, the best strength, pure strength athletes in the world do like the same exercises for like oh, years per- on end which practice, is that's what you're talking yeah, about yeah practice is what you get which is extreme we're talking about running here for your own mental sakes with your training <laughs> you, you would you'd want to change it up but um i wouldn't really change the exercises i do in the gym for two to three months at a time um you know and that's that's literally like out of my squat pattern exercise i'd yeah. probably choose like back squats for like two months or three months even and then i'd change it to like box squats or rack squats you know when you're squatting off of a rack or a deadlift or something for like another two to three months and that it's because you know for a couple of reasons you're keeping it simple it's really easy to track how you progress on mm, it's easy i mean if you were doing 10 last week or yeah. a month ago you're now doing 15 that's progress yeah exactly super easy to track boom straight away you know what i need to do to get progress i see tons of my friends keep uh, and they're really good strength coaches keep a little little booklet that they take with them to gym it's a cute little booklet with a pen and they write down their sessions and the weights they lifted on the exercises a very simple way to track it yeah secondly is you're doing the same exercise so you're going to get stronger and good at it and it's just it's you're just going to get those gains in that exercise Mm. you're not constantly changing up that stimulus um you know, which is, you know, like what CrossFit is like to do a lot, but that's their sport. Yeah, look, it's a different stimulus. I mean, running is also a very monotonous stimulus. Yeah, exactly. If you think about it, you're essentially just running at different speeds. <laughs> maybe it's, it's the max of, of what you change up. Or maybe you change your running route. I think that yeah. helps. I think that helps break the monotony. Yeah. Um, or maybe you suddenly do a trail run and then you die on that and that, that's, that <laughs> breaks the monotony. So yeah, I mean, like keeping it simple, progressing your exercises with those things, not changing your exercises too often and remembering strength training looks boring. It's like that's a... You know, strength training is not supposed to be yeah. exciting every session and every week. When you're starting out, it's all going to be new and it'll be exciting. But very quickly, like um, where the joy comes from it is in being able to do something you couldn't do the week before. And, yeah. you know, like being able to. And not not only that, it's the effect that it has on your life in general, not just running. So yes. we've been talking for an hour about the running. Yes. But the impact it has on your life and also the way that you develop as a human being yes. later in your years. If you've done strength training when you're able, to, when you've had the time to do it, like life is just going to be better for you. Huge. I mean, like strength training. So, you know, from the age, from, from in our thirties, we start to lose a, a scary percentage of our muscle each year as adults um, on the way, you know, to the, to the final destination. 
And um, it's something that you don't really notice because even though it's a decent percentage each year, I can't remember what the exact percentage is, it still feels like it's happening slowly until, you know, everyone knows you start hitting, getting into your 50s and your 60s and your 70s and you start muscle wasting. It only becomes really noticeable probably for most people when yeah. it's like in those late 60s, early 70s over there. And it's called sarcopenia. So that is age-related muscle wasting. Sarcopenia is a nice fancy word. Strength training is like one of the best antidotes in the world yeah. to that. And by preventing that muscle wasting, what you're doing is you have a massive benefit on your quality of life as you age. And for runners, that massive benefit on your quality of life is also going to include being able to run for longer. Yeah, because, I mean, longevity. Yeah, because running, actually, you know, it, it provides a small stimulus to maintaining that muscle, actually. Um, you know, there's some beautiful photos on the internet of like a 40-year-old sedentary person. So sedentary means they don't exercise. Um, and it's a, like a cross-section of their leg muscle um, and the whole leg. So they've taken a person's leg that's been chopped yeah. and it's a photo of it. And a 70-year-old triathlete. And um, <laughs> the 40-year-old sedentary person's oh. one, you can see the amount of actual muscle inside that leg is quite scary because there's not a lot of it um, in, in the actual leg. And you can see there's a lot of other, there's a lot of fat tissue, tissue, yeah, adipose tissue and skin and other stuff around it but there's not actually that much muscle. And then the 70-year-old triathlete's leg is like pure muscle. That's crazy. Which is, which is beautiful. I can see it. I can yeah. see it. So it's, it's, and it's, it's, a great, it's a great photo. So that's someone that just does endurance exercise. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, I'm saying this. I don't know how much strength training that human being did in their life. So I might be talking rubbish. But no, sure, but still. Theoretically, you know, that strength training that you do, that, that's going to maintain your muscle mass and maintain your strength levels for far longer than just doing endurance training. And that's going to allow you to keep running for longer. Well, it, it, I think it's not very difficult to sell. You just, yeah. just got to do it. And I think, you know, to recap the conversation that we've had, for me, the key take-homes at this stage have been that you have to keep it simple. You know, yeah. it, boring is safe and you are going to get the improvements by just doing yes. those very simple movements that we've spoken about and adding them for a couple of times a week for short periods of time, uh, microdosing it as Ant mentioned. I mean, Doing it is going to be the first step to getting stronger. Uh, we mentioned that you know you should squat or perform a movement that that replicates that type of muscle action. Mm. Um, the importance of the key muscles when we are trying to the key muscles that we are trying to strengthen. You know, we spoke about the glutes, we spoke about the hamstrings, we spoke about the the two calf muscles. The importance of that soleus. Um, the plyos, the mm. difference between plyos and strength, but you know, the most basic plyos like skipping, the improvements that they can have on your running. It's just that the evidence is there. Yeah. You know, as a runner, um, if if you aren't doing strength training or including some level of strength training in your in your routine, you literally have got like I've got your head in the ground. Hundred <laughs> percent. It's it's crazy to think about it. So uh, I'm really grateful for your time and the explanations and the details that we were able to go into today. Um, do you feel like there's, there's something that we haven't really covered at this stage that you'd want to mention or are you happy to sort of close it off from your end? Yeah, I think for now, I think we'll get to too much if we start, yeah. if we start going. Cause there's a lot more now. detail, but yeah, those will be very specific yeah. topics. Yeah. You know, so like what is elasticity and how do we, yeah, no, exactly. We, you could do a deep dive yeah. on that. I think it would be good to sort of just go over a sort of like our key points around strength yeah. training um, and like tips and, and everything with that. So I think, you know, keeping it simple would be the number one thing with it. 
Um, so follow that basic routine. Um, it doesn't take that much. So, you know, at the very least, try getting like 20 minutes, two times a week, 40 minutes would be great. I didn't mention maybe bring a friend because it can get boring because you're <laughs> keeping it simple. So it's the kind of thing that's great to maybe do with some friends. Yeah, social. And get some friends Make it social. Yeah, get, get it enjoyable. Yeah, don't change it up and stay consistent. Be at it for a long time. To really <laughs> see those benefits, we're talking about like 24 weeks. That's where most of the research has Two been done. Years. Like, no, 24, 24 weeks is, is oh, six sorry, months. Sorry, sorry. That would be 104 weeks. I 24 months. There. No, no, not 24 months. 24 months, you're doing well. Yeah. But um, yeah, just make a part of it. And then I think the last thing is that, you know, it's not just going to make a difference to your running, but it will make a difference to your life as well in the long run. Um, it's probably one of the number one forms of training for just helping improve quality of life. Um, and it should really be a part of every person's routine just from a health perspective. Um, so I'd really advise that you get into the gym and do some uh, strength training or just around the track. Wow. Okay. And thank you so much. I couldn't have summarized it any better. Um, I really appreciate your time and uh, I hope that the listeners have enjoyed this one. I, know I definitely have and I've learned a lot. So appreciate it and we wish you all the best with the rest of your PhD. And next time I look forward to welcoming you onto the podcast as the Dr. Ant Clark, eh? Yeah, thanks. Uh, I'll make I'll make that promise on air and then we'll see how it goes. <laughs> uh, thanks, buddy. Thanks. Cheers, Nick. Thank you for listening to another episode of Making a Runner. We hope you enjoyed it and found value in the show. Don't forget to rate and leave a review on your favorite streaming platform. And remember to share with your running buddies. Follow our journey on our socials and feel free to engage with us on all things running. We wish you a pleasant run wherever the road or trail may take you. Bye for now.